Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Uh, if you do have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be where Virginia read 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 14. I hope you have your Bibles, because I, I want you to see what I'm talking about. I don't want you ever just take me for my word. I want you to look at the word and say, okay, pastor, how'd you, how'd you get to that point? Because today's message is a very important message in your faith and in your life. Uh, and a word that is mentioned a lot by Peter, and a word I'll mention a lot, is the word gospel, which literally means good news. And I just want to be very clear what I mean when I say gospel. Uh, I believe, uh, as we look at all the scriptures, if I had to single it down to one definition, I would tell you that the gospel is God's plan or God's story, however you want to look at it. It's a redemption story, God's plan to save his creation. So it includes you, but it's more than you. It's a cosmic saving to save his creation from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And there's three kind of movements that I mentioned there. Number one, he saves you from the penalty of your sin. If you're a Christian, this is already done. You have nothing to do with it. It's finished. On the cross of Calvary, as Jesus bled and died, he bled and died for you. And so you can stand before God whole and righteous. Uh, One way I like to say it is now as Christians, we thank God for forgiveness. We don't beg God for forgiveness. We thank him for what he's already secured in us in Christ Jesus, which is an amazing blessing. Amen? Amen? All right. I'm the only one excited. That's cool. Second one is uh, that we are saved from the power of sin. And while the first one's finished, this one is ongoing. Uh, This means right now through the Holy Spirit, through the church, and through your effort, you are becoming more like Jesus over the course of your life. This is what theologians would call sanctification. That when I'm born again, when I believe in Jesus for the first time, I start here, and over the course of my life, it should trend in a trajectory upwards towards becoming like Jesus. There's no form of Christianity in which I accept Jesus at the age of 17, and by the age of 77, I look like the same person. It's just, you can't find it in this book. Because when you accept Jesus, things begin to change in your life. And we all start at different places, so we all finish at different places. Your your finishing point might be my starting point, and my finishing point might be your starting point. But the point is that Jesus is growing in us, the Spirit is working in us, and we are becoming more like Christ the longer we are Christians. And see, this really answers the question of, well, what do I do between my baptism and my funeral, right? Like, okay, I accepted Jesus, now what do I do? And a lot of Christians would tell you, well, now you just kind of suffer. Like, life's awful, but we got glory ahead, amen. <laughs> you ever heard a Christian give a testimony like that? You're like, man, I don't, I don't want to be a Christian if that's what it is, you know? The world is so worldly and we're just all stuck here. You know, it's like, I don't want that. I want to grow. I want to to become more like the divine creature that God has made me to be. The divine image in me coming out as I become more like Jesus over the course of my life. And then the last one is uh, one day, it's not here yet, one day I'll be freed from the presence of sin. Which is really good news, friends, because sin equals death. That means one day, death is going to die. When King Jesus comes back, and he's not the cute little Jesus you see painted on the walls. He's Jesus the warrior. says a sword is coming out of his mouth and a tattoo is on his thigh. I don't even know what that means, but I know he's coming to kick death's butt, and it's going to be awesome. That's a good amen. That's to come. So today what we're talking about in 1 Peter is that middle point. How do I actually become like Jesus? And I hope today's message is really practical, especially towards the end of it, because... Uh, when I was a kid growing up often, it was like, you become more like Jesus. Okay, how? Well, just do it. Just become more like Jesus. 
And what that left me was feeling a lot of shame and condemnation because I didn't have the how. I had the what. I even had the why, but I didn't have the how do I become more like Jesus. And uh, the way we're going to do this is actually by walking through this text the same way I tell you to walk through the text in your own personal quiet time. And if you're a dad in here, when you're leading your family devotions, this is how you lead your family devotions. You walk through the four questions. You read the text, and then you ask these questions of the text. Number one, who is God? What do we learn about who God is, his character? Most of us start with, what's in it for me? No, the way you read the Bible is you start with, who is God? Because it's a story about him, and we get to be a part of the story, but it's not a story about us. Sorry to crush your dreams there, because a lot of us think everything's about us. Uh, the second question is, what has God done through Jesus for us? Then the third question is, is in light of those things, who am I? What is my identity? Because who you are will determine what you do. You don't start with what you do, you start with who you believe you are, because that's actually going to affect what you do. Which then leads to the final question, which is, how do I live? Who is God? What has he done through Jesus? Who am I? And then how do I live? Those are the questions we're going to walk through. So I'm going to pray for us. But before I do that, a couple of pastoral announcements. Number one, right after the service today, we're having Starting Point, which is the greatest way to get connected to Ascent. If you're like, I want to learn more about this church. Uh, I want to know why they have a 12-year-old as a pastor. Uh, (laughs) All of those questions will be answered uh, in this room right over here, right after the service. You just go in there. We'll feed you lunch. Uh, You get to learn about Ascent. You also get to learn about you. Uh, my, My goal is that you would begin to experience what it is to know purpose. I believe you all are here on purpose. uh, And my job as a pastor is not get you to put on a Sunday gathering so I can get on a stage and preach. My job is to equip you so you can go out and live your purpose and ultimately live fulfilled. And that's what Starting Point is all about. So I'd love for you to join me after the service for that. Number two, when you sat down, you should have had a Mother's Day card uh, there. I want you to invite somebody, preferably your mom, uh, if she's alive. Uh, It'd be awesome to have her here. We're going to celebrate not just moms, though. We're going to celebrate all women. Uh, Because I know that on Mother's Day, it's not just a day of celebration. It's also a day of grieving for a lot of us. Uh, Maybe because we've lost a child or because we can't have children. And uh, I learned a long time ago that it's just a great day to celebrate all women and how God works and uh, has gifted women uniquely to serve in his kingdom. So it's going to be a celebration. And if you are a woman, you get a free gift. That's all I'm going to tell you. And it's going to be delicious and shaped like a cookie because it is a cookie. And I just told you it's good. All right. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into the Bible. (laughs) Father God, uh, thank you for these people. Uh, Lord, thank you that they are here today. It is not an accident uh, that this room is comprised of the people that it's comprised of. Uh, You knew who would be here, and you knew who wouldn't be here. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to them. God, as I I try to exposit and pull out of your text, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to them individually in a way that I cannot. And God, I pray that you'd help me. Help me preach this gospel, this good news in a way that is worthy of it. Lord, I need you. Desperately, I need you as a preacher. And my listeners need you desperately to hear. Because we don't hear with physical ears. We need to hear with spiritual ears. Lord, so would you help us? It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, question number one. Who is God? And we're going to jump in looking at verse 14 through 16. It says, as obedient children... Do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. In other words, before you became a Christian, you were living a way, and now you know God. And so it was okay that you were living that way when you didn't know God, but now you know God. So you can't be conformed to that same kind of ignorance, because now you know better. Verse 15. But as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy. Holy just means set apart, different, in all your conduct. For it is written, and this is a quote from Leviticus, Be holy because I am holy. 
Answer to question number one is who is God? And the, the answer is he's our father. I want you to notice throughout this whole text, there's this fatherly theme. And what does it start with? It says as obedient children, not as obedient servants or obedient slaves, but as obedient children. God is our father. And here's why this is so important in our transformation and becoming more like Christ. Because we all, whether we want to believe it or not, in fact, if you don't believe it and you don't admit it, it's probably even more true for you. We are all shaped by our earthly fathers. The the men in our lives who raised us shape us in unique ways. In fact, I'm I'm reading a secular book right now. Uh, I'm not sure if the lady's a Christian. Uh, I, I don't know. She might be. She might not be. But she's a counselor. And it's a book called Facing Codependency, which I would recommend to everybody, even if you think I had a pretty good childhood. Read this book because it might explain some things in your life. But anyways, in the book, uh, she you get free book recommendations when I don't take my medicine also. Uh, in the book, she talks about this phenomenon of how counselors can't even fully explain it, but that kids will take on the characteristics of their father, e- even their secret sins. So she talks about how there are generational curses that go on, and if the father doesn't deal with what's going on in his life, it will be passed on to his children, even if his children aren't consciously aware of why they are doing what they are doing. And she says, we can't explain this. And I'm like, and I'm studying First Peter this week. Like, God's given it to me straight in the face. That we cannot see him as a heavenly father if we do not first deal with the way our earthly father looked at us. And there's two ways this can go. If you had a functional father, by that mean, I mean like he was a good dad. He wasn't perfect. Nobody is. But, but he loved you. You knew you were loved. And he cared for you. First off, right now, if you had a dad like that and he's alive, you need to text him and say, thank you for loving me because he's a unicorn. There are not very many men who are like that. And if you had a functional dad like that, what you probably did is you looked at your dad and the way you looked at him was, I want to be like my dad. Not in everything, but I want to be like my dad. And if you're a woman, you probably said, I want to marry somebody like my dad. I want the characteristics of the guy I marry to be like my dad. And when you thought about how your dad looked at you, you thought, I want my dad's approval. Like it means a lot to you that your dad looks at you and he loves you and he likes what you're doing. I see people like this who like they're about to buy a house or they're about to take a job. And the first thing they do is they call their dad for advice. Like I want to know what my dad would say about this because his opinion really matters. There's a mosquito from hell in here. Somebody kill that, please. (laughs) I really care about uh, my dad's opinion, right? It's like I want to know what dad would think about this. And that's really good in a lot of ways. But it can also hurt us in this way. If I look at my dad and he's functional and he's good and I want to be like him, what I can end up doing is trying to be like my dad instead of being who God made me to be. Amen. So, for, for instance, if, if my dad was an executive leader at a bank, he was big time, he was really high in business, I can look at my dad and say, well, that's what success is. Even though that might not be what God wired me to do. And then on the reverse side of that, which is true probably for most of us in this room, if you had a dysfunctional dad... And by that, mean, by that, I mean your dad was absent. So maybe he died when you were younger or he was just absent because he didn't show up or sober up. He was just never there when you needed him to be there. Uh, or your dad was abusive. Like he wasn't just not there. He was actively against you in life. Or, or maybe your dad was just passive, right? Like he was there, but he didn't really work hard for the family. He didn't really stand up for you. And you needed him to stand up for you. You knew when the chips fell, you couldn't count on your dad to be there because he wasn't really concerned. He was just a passive dad. Any, any of those ways are dysfunctional, and the way they help us look at our dad or our earthly father is instead of saying, I want to be like dad when I grow up, we say, I don't want to be like dad at all when I grow up. Which if your dad is extreme, so like he's extremely passive, what can then happen is you try to do the opposite, and the opposite is, guess what, it's still extreme. 
Right? My dad was passive, so I'm going to be the opposite. I'm going to be a workaholic. And I'm never going to be there. And I'm not going to show up for my kids. And what we don't even really realize we're doing is we are now doing the opposite thing that our kids did. And you can see this in some family trees where the kid is more like the grandpa. Right? Like the grandpa is a hard worker. The dad's lazy. And then the kid is a hard worker. And then what they don't realize they're doing is they're taking the, the chain and they're, they're continuing it on in their own legacy. And the same is true for like kids who uh, you know, grew up with an alcoholic father and then they are completely sober, sober and like they don't, they're really strict on all the rules. Well, then their kids rebel against those rules. They go to the opposite extreme. See, we can do this if we're not careful. I hope you guys are seeing this. And you're like, I don't think about my dad at all. <laughs> you're the worst one in here, honestly, because you do subconsciously. And then the, the, the thing is, when we think about how our dad looks at us, if we like our dad, we want his approval. But guess what? If we don't like our dad, we want to prove something to our dad. You were not there for me, so I'm going to live a life worthy. I'm going to show you what you missed out on by not being there for me. And some people, and this is really sad, they're still trying to prove something to a dad that's not even alive anymore by the way they live. You can see people striving for so much. And you stop and you ask them, you say, why are you so motivated? And they go, I don't know. I don't know what's driving me. I'll tell you what's driving them. They want to prove something to the world. It's that chip on the shoulder they have. See, if you have a dysfunctional father, it leads you to living a life that is not the life God would have for you. And here's the good news that God is our father. Look at what it says in verse 14. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Then it says this, but as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. In other words, quit looking at your earthly father to decide what you are or aren't. Look at your heavenly father. And all your conduct be like me. Be set apart and good like me. You see, what's beautiful about this is God doesn't call you to be like anybody else. He's gifted you in specific ways. And what God wants to do is bring out the divine nature that he's put in you, the divine image he's put in you. We all are like reflectors of God in various different ways. God is so glorious and beautiful that he cannot be defined by one person. I cannot fully image God. But together as a church, together as a people with all of our uniqueness, my ADHD and your organization, we all bring out sides of God and we show the beauty to the world. And this is what God the Father wants to bring out in your life. That as we look at him, we look at the life of Jesus and we reflect that in our own lives through our own unique gifts and skills, we become who God wants us to be. And then verse 16, it says this. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And then verse 17 says, if you appeal to the father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. In other words, instead of trying to work for your dad's approval or to prove yourself to your dad, look to me for approval. Prove yourself to me. Live your life thinking about the heavenly father, not your earthly father. That's question one. Who is God? He is. He's our father. Question number two, what has God done through Jesus? Now, here's the really cool part. He has redeemed us from our life. He's redeemed us from our past life into the new life in him. Look at what it says. Verse 18 says, for, you know, in other words, connecting those two thoughts together for, you know, that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. See, here's the really cool part about living your life to prove yourself to God and living for God's approval. 
If you believe in Jesus, you already have his approval. This is really good news. This is why Jesus came and he bled and he died for us. Right before Jesus was ever even baptized. Now, actually, as he comes out of the water and he's baptized before he's done any ministry, any of the works, he hadn't even walked on water unless he did it for fun, like on his own time, uh, which I would have. But <clears throat> no recorded mi- miracles of Jesus yet up to this point. And he comes up out of the water and this voice comes from heaven, which, by the way, you can only imagine everybody probably would have been like, what in the world is going on? But Jesus comes up out of the water. And what does God say? He said, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. And then we see on the, the, the Mount Transfiguration where Jesus is with his disciples and the cloud of God, his glory comes over them. And they're expecting judgment. They're expecting to die, the disciples are. And yet what does God say? He envelops them in the love of Jesus. He says, this is my beloved son. But then on the cross of Calvary, as Jesus is dying, he's been spit upon. He has a crown of thorns placed on his head. He cries out. One of the last things he cries out is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in other words, Jesus had taken on the sin that you and I owed, and he experienced what we are supposed to experience, which is the separation from the Father. And in that moment, the perfect Son of God, the spotless Lamb, took on my sins so that I might be made right with God. See, this is beautiful if I believe it. Because Jesus says, now my righteousness, what I have with the Father, it counts for you. And it changes everything when, when we're not trying to earn approval or to prove ourselves, but we feel like we've already got it. And you say, well, Blake, wouldn't that just mean I'd live a kind of a complacent life? Absolutely not. You'd actually then begin to live the life Jesus has for you. Um, one of the best stories that illustrates this, and if you've been in a scent for a while, you've heard me tell this story before, but I've only lived 25 years. I've got limited stories, so deal with it. Uh, one, of my, uh, one of my friends that I know uh, adopted a kid uh, from a, a, well, actually they were fostering and, and it actually ended up being adoption, but they were fostering a kid uh, and they brought this, this kid and his sister into their home, uh, and they had a whole bunch of behavioral issues. Um, these kids had a life that most of us can't even imagine. Um, they had a, a younger brother who was in the hospital because of an ear infection, just to kind of give you an idea. They were eating honey buns, and their teeth were rotted out. It was, it was a terrible situation. And this little boy, I think five or six years old at the time, had, a, had specific behavioral issues where he was pretty violent towards people. And my friend uh, brought him into his house, and uh, he would kind of, he would spit and yell, uh, and especially towards his wife. And my friend was at work one day, and uh, this kid just, he, he went crazy. He had, a, he had a complete breakdown. He was yelling at his wife. He was spitting. He was punching holes in the wall. He took his room, everything they had put in there. He destroyed the room, took the, the bed off of uh, the, the, the frame, threw it on the ground, just destroyed the room. And my friend's wife calls him, and, and she says, I don't know what to do with him. Like, I literally don't know. You have to come home right now. And so my friend jumps in the car. He drives home. He gets home. And as he walks in, he opens the door. He cannot believe what he sees. He told me, he said, Blake, I didn't even discipline him in the moment because if I did, I knew it wouldn't have been good. Like, I was just so amazed at what had happened that I couldn't even do anything. So he said, I don't know why, but, but it felt like the Spirit of God came over me. And I just took this little boy and I said, well, we're going to go on a walk. And he took him on a walk outside and he said, look, I, I want you to be here. He said, but you've at least got to respect my wife. That's the minimum I ask from you. You cannot act this way and stay with us. You're going to have to go somewhere else if you cannot do at least that minimum thing for me. My friend said he went back to the little boy's room, and he did what everybody would do. He took everything out of the room. Uh, He patched up the wall. He didn't even repaint it because he figured the boy would probably ruin it again. Took out all the toys, the TV. He said literally all that was in the room was basically a mattress for the little boy to sleep on. 
And he said this went on for a couple weeks, and the boy's behavior really didn't change much. Uh, still violent, still outbursts, still uh, not behaving in the way that you would want a, a little boy to behave. And he said, one day I was at work, uh, and the Holy Spirit, he said, I felt like the Holy Spirit led me to go home and fix the boy's room up better than it was before. Amen. He, said, he said, I don't know why, but he said, I just felt like I needed to go do this. So he took a day off of work, he went home, he painted the room, uh, he, he got him a, a, one of those cool little beds that kids love, got him a TV, said he painted the room with like Batman murals, because Batman's obviously the best superhero ever. If you disagree, it's okay, you can be wrong here to sent. We still love you. And uh, he paints this room up better than he could before. New toys, new everything. And this, this little boy comes home after school and he comes in and he says when the little boy opened the, the door, he just started crying. He said all he could do was cry because he'd experienced grace. This little boy who had been neglected his whole life had experienced love that was not based on what he had done but who he was. And you see what began to happen in that moment was amazing. You know what happened? The little boy's behavior began to change. See, grace didn't enable him to continue down the path. Grace was actually what inspired him to change, to be the little boy that God had called him to be. Friends, this is what Jesus does for us. With our sin, we proverbially destroy the room. We hurt people, we hurt ourselves, and we can live in shame and condemnation, and that's only going to lead to more hurting of others and hurting of ourselves. And Jesus comes and he fixed the room up better than it was before. And what that ought to do, that grace ought to, break our hearts and rejoice in Jesus. And what it does is it actually frees us up to live the life that he would call us to live. Amen. Who is God? He's, he's our father. What has God done through Jesus? He's redeemed us from our old, our old life. We don't have to live that way anymore. He's bought our way out. Question number three is, who am I? And uh, it's, I'm born again. I am born again. And when you think of I'm born again, you probably... In my mind, what I think of is like some Christians who I don't really want to be like. <laughs> Just to be honest with you, when I think born-again Christian, I think of a guy on Fox News or something uh, yelling at people uh, and, and not really acting like Jesus. Uh, I probably shouldn't have said that, but I did. Uh, that's just how I feel about it. Because oftentimes we, we use it as like a, a more emotional Christianity, right? Like, I'm a born-again Christian, which... Like, as we read this text, you're going to see it's just truly redundant. Like, you don't, don't say that. Don't say I'm a born-again Christian. That's like saying I'm a Christian Christian. It just, there's only one kind of Christian, and that's the kind of Christian that has been born again, has been made alive to Jesus Christ. Like, your life is not the same as it was. It's brand new. And we see this uh, as we jump into verse 22. It says, since you have purified yourselves, and that word is really uh, better translated, you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, which is really beautiful, right? Like the truth God gives us, if, we, if we're obedient to it, we purify our souls. That sounds really nice for me. So that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly. In other words, if you're born again, this is what you're going to do. You're going to begin to love one another more. Because you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable. And that word seed there is like the same word we would use for um, a father uh, and his seed as a child grows up, like the seed of the father, uh, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of the God of God. And then he quotes Isaiah here. All flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. In other words, he says you were born first of the seed of your father. But guess what happens to every man? They wither and they die. 
right? And the older you get, the more you see this, that life is really short. Man is not as strong as we think we are. People are fragile. Um, three months ago, uh, my grandpa was alive. Today I stand here and my grandpa is gone like that. Like for me in my own life, I experienced how just fragile life is. And I'm sure you all have stories in your own lives where you get to experience how fragile life is. See, the, the, the seed of flesh dies pretty quickly. It withers. But what Peter says here is he says, there's a new seed in you. There's a new thing in you. And you are an eternal being, and it never dies. And you cannot live the same way you lived before you had the eternal seed in you. Uh, I heard a pastor, name is Francis Chan, he was talking about a, uh, a youth kid he saw that was preaching a sermon. And uh, the kid started his sermon uh, by getting up there, and he said, Guys, I, just, I got hit by a Mack truck on my way here. Uh, I got flung 20 foot off into the, into the sidewalk. And uh, right before I got here, I mean, the truck just slammed me and... Francis says, looking at him, he's like, what? Like, you got hit by a truck? What do you mean you got hit by a truck? And then the kid said, nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, he He said, what kind of illustration is this, right? And then he said, but the kid made a really good point. He said, because the reason you guys know I didn't get hit by a Mack truck is because I wouldn't look the same. I would not be standing up here talking. Something that big hits me, I'm no longer the same person. I've got reconstructive face surgery I didn't ask for. And in the same way, if something like the Holy Spirit hits you, if something like Jesus Christ being born again in you hits you, you cannot be the same person. Amen. It just doesn't work. I'm sorry, but it doesn't. You can raise your hand and call yourself a Christian. You can have an emotional moment and still be the same person. But if you really believe Jesus is the Messiah, your eyes have been revealed to see that, and you begin to live your life believing He is the, the pinnacle of truth, Amen. you cannot be the same person. You will have new desires, new longings. You'll want things that are different. And in the Scriptures, and right here, Peter and Jesus also, He gives us ways that we can know we are born again. He gives us ways that in your life, undeniably, if you want to know, have I experienced this, they will be true of you. I'm going to go to the words of Jesus. He says this, John 14, 25. Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The words that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. When I was a kid, let me tell you how I read that. If you want Jesus to love you, obey his commands. If you want Jesus to not love you, don't obey his commands. But that's not what it says, is it? It says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. In other words, it's just a natural outflow. Like you can't see Jesus as the pinnacle of life and not want to obey him. And that doesn't mean you're perfectly obeying him because none of us are perfect. But it means I desire it. Like I actually want to do it because I believe he is who he says he is. And then the other one, and this is kind of what Peter says also, is from John 13, 35. Jesus says this. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And if we were to ask this question today and we didn't know what Jesus said, I think a lot of Christians would say, you'll know you're my disciples by how many verses you know. You'll know you're my disciples by... How much you post on Facebook about me? You ever seen those things? Share if you believe in God. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, maybe I should though. I don't know. I don't know. No, it's not what he says. He says, by this you will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By the way we love each other as the church, that is the unique thing that sets us apart as Christians. That's how people will know 
that we are who we say we are. That's, that's that born again in you, where I can't help but to love you. The early church was uh, both uh, known for and they were also abused for their love for one another. It was attractive to people uh, because in that culture... And in our culture, too, uh, you cared for yourself. You cared for your blood relatives above all else. Uh, but in the first century, these Christians come along, and they, uh, they love each other. Like, they're spending time together. They don't have to spend with one another. They're selling all of their possessions so that nobody in their, uh, their congregation has needs. Like, can you imagine that? If, like, the richest person at Ascent was like, you know what? I'm selling it all so that everybody in Ascent can have it all. Right? Like, like it's, it's this idea that they cared for one another even when it hurt themselves. And Jesus says, that's how you'll know that you're my disciple. I just ask you, friends, do you have that love in you? Like, do you desire to obey Jesus' commands? And do you desire to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? This is why church can never be a podcast or a TV preacher. Because the sermon's not even really the best part. The best part is the community we have. And you're thinking, well, then preach a little shorter, would you? <laughs> no, I will not. Who am I? I'm I'm born again. And then the last one, and this is where I I hope it gets really practical, is how do I live? How do I live? In light of all of that, God's the Father, Jesus has redeemed me from my life, and I'm born again. So, like, how does this actually take root in my life? And we find out in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Whew. Facebook might be bearable if we disobeyed these commands, right? I'm just read one more time. No, I mean, you guys don't ever experience this, but just for fun. All malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Guys, I pray that we could be known as a people for this. And I think that'd be really cool if we ridded ourselves of these things. But how do we do it, Peter? Peter says, well, I'm going to tell you. Like newborn infants... I want to pause there. You are a newborn infant in Christ. So what Peter is saying here is that this is not a fast process. Like what, what we want as uh, Christians, we become a Christian and a year later we're like, Dad, gummit, why do I still crave the old things? Why do I keep messing up? Why can't I be like the guy who's been a Christian for 45 years? And the reason is, is because you have to mature. And just like in our uh, physical birth, you, you don't see very many two-year-olds owning their own apartments. Why? Because they're not mature yet. You have to raise kids for 18, 19, 20, some of you for like 27 years before you can... I'm just kidding. Uh, Send your kids out. I stayed at home until I was 21, so I can't really say much. Uh, Send your kids out into the world. And the same is true in our spiritual walk. That it takes time to mature. We're newborn infants. But how do we mature? It says, so that you may grow up into your salvation. Notice it doesn't say earn your salvation, but you grow up into it. That the, there's this shadow. We all experience this, whether you're a Christian or not. There's this shadow in our mind of the person we could be. Like, we, we know what we could be, but we just were striving for it. And Jesus says it's even bigger than what you can ever imagine. So grow up into it. And how do I do that? It says, verse 3, if you, sorry, verse 2, uh, so that you may grow up into your salvation, verse 3, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. And in verse 4, As you come to him as a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. So we have to desire the pure milk of the word. That's what he says. What does that mean? Well, when we think of word, we probably think of the, the scriptures, right? Like this is the word of God. But that's not what Peter's talking about. You know how I know that? Because he's writing the word of God, 
right? He, he's, he's the writer of this epistle. That's not in the word of God. The early Christians, in fact, till about 100, 150 years after Jesus, we didn't have the canon like this all together in a nice, neat book. So for the first 100, 200 years of Christianity, the word wasn't necessarily these scriptures. The word is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word is the story of what God is doing. And you see, this is what separates Christianity from all other faiths. Most faiths, if you, if you read the Quran, if you, if you read anything else, it, it's, it's a book of instructions with stories sprinkled in. Right? It's like, this is what you do, and here's a story to illustrate it. If you read the Bible that way, you're going to be utterly confused. Uh, because there are all sorts of weird commands that do not apply to us. Because the Bible is primarily actually a story with instructions sprinkled in. From beginning to end, this book is a story of how God is redeeming humanity, redeeming you and I from our old state, from our fallen state, into the restored person He has called us to be. And you see, I need to surround myself in that story, in that narrative. I need to believe that God has paid the penalty of my sins so that I do not have to live in shame. I need to believe I have His Holy Spirit growing me to who I am going to be. And I need to have the hope deep in my heart that one day death will die itself and I'm working towards an end that actually has hope in my life. I need to be in that story all the time. And look, if you just come to church once a week, you come to the gathering for 60 minutes, that's not enough time in the story of God because you're going to go out and you're going to have 167 other hours in the week in which you are in the story of the world, in which it tells you that you need to be ashamed, in which it tells you that you don't have power to change. If he comes near me, it's going to go down. and turn to Jackie, Jackie Chan. Good night. Uh, geez, that's so distracting. Uh, <laughs> the hope of Jesus is what I need. And so uh, I just want to be really practical and tell you what this looks like in my life this week. Um, and and I've, I've been a Christian for quite a long time. I know I look young, uh, but I, I came to Christ at a young age, so I'm probably more mature than some of you in a spiritual sense. So don't listen to my week and think, well, that's what I got to do. That's not at all. I just want to give you an example of how I surround myself in the word. Because when I was younger, I, always, I craved practical experiences. Okay, how do I actually grow up in Christ? And here's, here's what I wrote down in my week that I did. Number one, every Monday I have therapy. Yeah, your pastor's in therapy. Amen. Uh, and what I love about my, my time there with Randy, uh, who's got an awesome beard. I hope you guys can meet him one day. Uh, that has nothing to do with what I'm about to say. Uh, in therapy, what, what we do is he says we collect the dots of your life, and then we connect the dots, and then we correct the dots. What he means by that is we look at my history and my past, we bring them all together, and then we look at how those things are connected. And what's really powerful about it is then they can be corrected by what God says about me. And see, if you don't do the hard work of looking at your past and looking at where you came from and diving into those wounds, then you'll live from those wounds. He says if you, if you, if you don't uh, work on your wounds, you'll live your wounds out. You'll act them out. And uh, that's so true in my own life. And so I, I work on that. And he helps me start to, to mend my life and mend my mind around the Word. I also, every Monday, I have a DNA group with some guys uh, that I study the Scriptures with, and it's for me personally. Like, I'm not trying to teach anybody anything. I'm just trying to see how the Word of God actually affects my life. And I need other people in my life uh, because they're going to point things out that I don't see. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a video uh, where there's a, a woman and a guy arguing. I think it's about marriage more than anything else, but the woman's got a nail in her forehead. And uh, it's hilarious because the guy's like, the, the problem is you have a nail in your forehead. And she's like, that's not the issue, okay? I just want you to listen to my feelings while I'm trying to explain it. It's a great video. Uh, the point of the video, though, uh, not the point of the video, the point I'm making from the video is sometimes we have a nail on our forehead and we can't see it, 
right? It's like, I don't, I don't know why I'm trying to prove myself. And it's like, well, obviously because you told us about your dad and this thing happened and that thing happened. And, and people can sometimes connect it to better in our lives. And the gospel, the word comes in and it begins to heal those things. Now, I'm reading through the Bible, not because I, I want to know more of the instructions, but because I want to know the storyline. I've read through the Bible about six times now, and it's still every year is brand new to me. I find new things. I, I develop themes. And I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I wake up and I'm in Leviticus and I'm like, oh, geez. And I don't always have this amazing spiritual experience, right? Like I'm, I'm reading about the blood of goats and stuff. I'm like, oh, great. Wonderful way to start the day, right? But then what I find out is as I read the scripture, I begin to develop the storyline and I begin to see God in brand new ways. I do Bible study with my wife. Uh, I have a thing called abide meditation where I try to fall asleep to the word of God. Uh, Taylor and I take a Sabbath, a day off where we just try to enjoy God. Uh, we have uh, and then this from this last week, I just added in last week, I gave you 14 gospel truths. And I took those 14 gospel truths and I actually made them for myself. So, for instance, the first one was God has selected us. I changed it to God has selected me. I am his son. I have been selected to be, not to do. And I have all 14 of them. And what I've done every day, three times a day, when I got to the office in the middle of the day and at the end of the day, was I read through those 14 things to myself. And then I've also been memorizing 1 Peter 1 through 13. Now you say, Blake, wow, that's excessive. You're like a super freak about all this. And, and what I would tell you is I'm not telling you that so that you think Blake's good. You should honestly see that and go, wow, Blake's weak because I am. I need the word of God. I need to remember who I am in Christ all the time. Because I can read my Bible in the morning and remember it. And then by noon, somebody cuts me off at the stoplight. And I'm not feeling like a son of God. (laughs) I need to be reminded of the word. And so here's what I would ask you. Take your next step. Whatever that is. Maybe for you, it's actually taking an hour out of your week besides this hour and listening to a pastor on podcasts. There's so many great ones. You could just start there. Maybe for you, it's, I'm going to begin to read through the storyline of the Bible, even the days where it's hard. I'm just going to read through it as I try to learn the storylines. Maybe it's like, you know, I I need to read gospel truths over me every day to remember that. Whatever it is, I want you to take that next step if you're a Christian. Because this is how we grow up into our salvation. By being in the story of the gospel over and over and over again. And as we think of God as a father, Molly, you can go ahead and come up if you want. It's always been a, a beautiful thought for me to think of him... Uh, as a father of me as an infant. Because uh, honestly, when I think of God, a lot of times I think of God like, man, Blake, can you get your, your stuff together? Like you are so dumb. I have shown you so much and you continue to fall. You continue to mess up. And yet the way I think actually God looks at us is like a father who has a baby that's learning to walk. When a baby's learning to walk, a dad cheers on their kid even as they stumble and fall. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a baby walk. It's not pretty. They look like a drunk sailor. Uh, <laughs> They got weight in places it shouldn't be, and so they kind of stumble around like this. And, uh, you know, they're usually with their grandma when they take the first step. Uh, he, he took a step, I swear he did, and, then, you know, really just kind of fell over. Uh, and then, you know, you finally get to see him take that step, and they pull themselves up on the couch, and they're about to go for it. And, and, and really, they're not stepping. You know, they're just doing that thing where they trip, and they accidentally catch themselves, and then they take a step, and they walk forward. And what do you do as a dad? Do you go, you idiot? You can't even walk straight. No, you know what you do is you say, that's my boy. Everybody needs to know about this. I'm posting this on Facebook. You're trying to with people who you work with and they don't even care about what you're telling them. But to you, it's the greatest thing in the world. This is how your heavenly father sees you. He doesn't expect perfection. But as you stumble and you step forward and you fall and you, 
you feel awkward because you got weight in the wrong places. Maybe literally, if you're me. Um, but you, you, you walk forward in the grace of God. And what God is doing is he's cheering you on and saying, that's my boy, that's my girl. See, who is God? He's your father. And he want, doesn't want to leave you the same. He, he loves you how you are, but he, he loves you too much to keep you there. As he grows you into who he wants you to be. I want to pray for us. Then we're going to sing. Father, thank you uh, that you are you're my dad. Lord, that my earthly dad says, uh, wonderful as they are, and uh, God is um, as great as they've been to me in so many ways, Lord, they're, they're imperfect, as everybody's dads are. And uh, God, I just pray that in our own hearts, we would begin to see you as our father. We would look up to you and want to be like you. We would look at you and live from a place of approval, not having to prove ourselves to anybody. Lord, and today I pray for those of us who are Christians in the room, uh, Lord, that we would begin to surround our lives with the word, with the gospel message that we are selected as sons and daughters. Lord, and as we begin to live out that identity, it would change the way we loved one another and we loved in the world. Jesus, we love you. Right now, with your eyes closed, head bowed, take about 20 seconds. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Father, I pray that you'd give us the courage to obey what you've spoken to us. It's in your name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing, friends. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.